Welcome to the High Road to Leadership. I'm your host, Beverly Lewis, and I believe that this troubled world we're in demands a new level of leadership and tag, you're it. I'm glad you're here. I'm all about helping equip you for the journey. We're on the high road together. There are challenges, there are obstacles, but there's nothing that we can't overcome together. And my guest in the studio today has a story that rings that to be absolute truth. I want you to meet Catrice Johnson. Catrice, welcome to the show today. Hello. Thank you so much, Beverly. I am delighted and excited to be here. Well, thank you. You know, I I know that you are a successful businesswoman. You're a realtor. Uh, you're yeah. an empowerment speaker. You're I am. a personal growth mentor. Yes. There's so much that you do today, but I am so fascinated by your story. I know mm-hmm. I've been able to hear it. I know you've written a book called I Am the One I Am Waiting For. That is correct. And I have to say that I didn't understand that title, really, I until I heard your story. And that goes back to your childhood. We won't yes. spend a lot of time there, but it is certainly a formative part of all of us. But I think your story of resilience mm-hmm. is, is phenomenal. And we'll get, we'll mention the fact and, and the audience will understand the importance of this when I say that this is also National Foster Care Month. So why is, why is that important, Katrice, for you? And talk to us about Wow. Um, that is a loaded question. Um, it's, um, it's easy to say it's important because children need homes. Not only do children need homes, children need to be connected. They need to experience connectedness. When we are connected, we feel nourished. We feel nurtured. We feel like we belong. And then we begin to grow. I tell this story about um, the tree. It's like the tree uh, in foster care. What they do is they stick you with the fence. Like you're like a branch that fell from the tree. And then they stick you with the family and tell you to just latch on and become because you're in the family. But the reality is that when a branch is um, falls from a tree, in order for it to continue to grow, it has to be engrafted again. And once it's engrafted, it can begin to, to get the nourishment that allows it to grow. So that's how important foster care is to the lives of many displaced youth. Um, and what that mean, meant and means to my life uh coming from a situation where I was given away at three days old and really trying to figure it out. I went to a foster home and it wasn't the healthiest place. It wasn't the worst, worst place, but some very bad things happened while in the foster home. The idea that people can enjoin themselves to children that are hurting that need love, that need care, that need um, n- need someone to come in and tangentialize their growth so that it, they come out as uh, citizens who give 
uh, back to our society and are productive in our society. The idea of that is an overwhelming idea, yet it's very simplistic as well. It's both complex and simple. But the, the, the beauty is that these people who decide to enter the lives of foster children they don't realize how much of an angel they are to us. They don't realize how they become a, a lifeline to better. And so it means a lot, Beverly, when you consider what you did not have and what the deficits wow. are. And, you know, the title of your book, I Am the One I'm Waiting For. Can you give us a capsule mm-hmm. of of why you titled it that way and the message that you carry. You know, I know that we're talking about youth and we're talking about children. I look, I look at them as the greenhouse of leadership and the future of our country. That's, that's our future is our young people, but you had to figure out a lot on your own because you didn't have um, parents you know, even even though you had a foster home, you didn't have a strong role model there. So tell us about that. Why are you the one you're waiting for? Correct. Um, the, the best way I can start to answer that question, begin to answer, is to let you know that uh, for years and years as a kid, I carried pain in my body. I carried not knowing um, the disconnect from uh, my foster uh, from from my foster family and my biological family, for that matter. Um, I just carried pain in my body for so long. But I was told at the very young age by my birth mother that she would come back to get me, that she would come back to get me. So I held in my mind this fantasy. I fantasized and romanticized living with my birth parents and that whole experience as kids can do, right? And... um I remember wanting to be a good child so that she would, when she came back for me, she would found me on my best behavior. She would find that I was good. I was, I was good stock, you know, and I wanted her to know that, um, that I was good. Um, as the years would progress, I was waiting for her. I was waiting for her every day. In everything that I did, in every accomplishment, I was waiting for her. I was waiting for her to acknowledge me, to say that she wanted me in her life, that she wanted me, and then to come back and get me and rescue me from the abuses that I was experiencing in that particular foster home. Um, In the process of waiting for her, I grew weary. Because I began, I I, I literally, I I still remember, I used to think and pray to God that time would stop so that I would not have to grow up without her. I wanted time to literally stop so I wouldn't have to grow up without her. And that was my, my my young heart just wishing and hoping against hope that I didn't have to live this life without her, without my birth parents at all. Well, Um, I was about the age of 16 when I got it. I got it. I got it. I said, she's not coming back for me. She's not coming back. And there was nothing shaking or moving. And times were getting rougher, uh, harder at the foster home. 
There was a lot going on. And the, you know, so much was happening. The police were there, investigators crawling all over the place. They were looking for people that were in trouble that lived in the house and all of that. My older siblings from the foster home. And I just remember thinking, you know, I can't keep waiting for her like this because I'm now in a situation where I feel like it's too heavy for me. And I really, I can't carry this weight of pain in my body for too much longer and live. Uh, So much so that my body hurt, my heart hurt. I carry so much pain in my body. And I said, I'm no longer waiting for her. I'm no longer waiting for them. I remember I asked my birth dad, how did I get here? And the the conversation led to uh, the understanding that it was under the guise of statutory rape because my birth dad was so much, he was older than my birth mother. And so I was like, wow, I said, you know, that that's a revelation. And I really, at that point decided I was no longer waiting for them. I was no longer waiting for them that I was waiting for myself. And I literally came up and I did not know that that was a, a proverb, an African proverb or whatever it was, but I am the one I'm waiting for. I am the one I have been waiting for. That is it. And that became the mantra of my life. And so that is the thing that really propelled me to to reach beyond because um, I had not let a lot of people know uh, in, in, in my schools and stuff that I was in foster care. I was in a foster home that I wasn't with my biological parents. My foster mother didn't look like me. So that was a huge thing in school for me. So I was always on my best behavior. I may have gotten in trouble maybe one time in my whole scholastic uh, career. And um, that's because I was having a bad day that day. But um, I'm the one I'm waiting for was about doing everything that I could to, to be who I needed to be in finding my way in the world. And I am a living, living testament that when you take that up on yourself and you say, I'm the one I'm waiting for, it's amazing. It's amazing. The resources, the people, the opportunities, they find us in another way. And so I begin to take advantage of every single opportunity that came my way, every single opportunity that was presented to me. But I was gifted too. I was a gifted writer, even as a kid, uh, as a student, I was a gifted writer. I read a lot. And so I would use and apply everything to propel me forward. And I begin to look at life through the eyes of no longer waiting for them, but I am the one that I'm waiting for. I was waiting for myself to get through with the emotional baggage, with the emotional issues. And I didn't even have time to get through with them. I had to keep moving in spite of them because I was growing through them. I was growing through them and growing out of them, growing out of the issues, growing through the issues, constantly being like a butterfly, going from one stage to the next, becoming, becoming, becoming. And I am the one I'm waiting for is the thing that uh, the, the mantra that pulls always pulls me back. Wow. Even still today, if I need to use it, pulls me back into what those goals and hopes are for my future. That is, that is amazing. And I think it is why you're such a strong leader today, because, you know, you came Mm. from, I think that one of the most important qualities of leaders in this day and time is resilience. And it's the ability to move through rapid change and keep going and um, keep hoping, keep learning, keep growing. And 
you have, you have, um, you started that. It sounds like really when you were 16 and had that revelation of, okay, if, if I'm going to create a better life for myself, it, it is not up to anybody else. So what were some of the key, uh, you mentioned that all, you know, that resources and when we open our mind to growth, that resources and um, things happen that we can't necessarily even explain. What are some of the things that you attribute to, um, you're an extraordinary woman, a leader in the community and across the nation. So what are some of the the things that helped you on your journey once you had that major revelation? One, one of the things that I attribute my success to will be uh, my foster mother. One of the great things she did is that she drug us to church, whether or not we wanted to go. Like I did not want to go to church. I understood the lesson the first time, love God, obey your parents. I got that. I'm good. <laughs> and I just didn't want to keep repeating that whole cycle. And I'm telling you, every chance I could get, if she gave me an opportunity to stay home, I took it. But most most times, most regularly, we had to go to church. Um, so, and, and I always tell that, that piece of the story that um, I had... Totally uh, said that when I'm 18, I don't have to go anymore. So I was looking forward to being 18. I was looking forward to being 18. And I know that God sensed it in my heart for real that I was serious about being 18 and not having to go to church ever again. Because I would have had 18 years of church. Who needs needs more? You know? So anyway, um, at the age of 16, I remember I was in the basement of my high school uh, East High School. That's where I spent my first two years of high school. And there was a teacher who was on my tracks about being conscious of God's purpose on my life. And what God, I'm like, why is this woman bothering me? And she bought me a Bible. And I, I love to read. She said, I know you're a reader. You said you love to read. Here's a Bible. And I love that. I kept that Bible. I know, I think about eight, nine, 10 years um, and I loved it. It was a new international life application Bible. I could still see it. She bought it over the Christmas break and gave it to me. And I just loved it every day. But I, I tell the story that, to wrap that up is that I had a plan to not go to church again after 18. But at the very age of 16, I really felt like through, God used that teacher to bridge a relationship back to God because I was upset with God because of the things that were happening in my life. I always loved him, but I was upset with him. And um, I said, you know, I had a plan to leave leave the church and to just live my life. But God captured my heart. So I do attribute all of my success, all of my tenacity, all of my determination, all of my ability to hit the ground and bounce right back up to get knocked down and come back up slugging myself. Um, I, I attribute all of that, all of my gift, all of my talent, all of my ideas, all of my ideologies, all of my strength, all of my life, I attribute to God. Uh, the other thing, uh, all the people that have come into my life as well, there were different people that I allowed to be resources for me. Um, there were different mentors that I had along the way. I had some amazing mentors. Uh, they were strong people, strong men and women who just poured royally into my soul, 
who called me out, who called me out, who put me in places. Uh, one such person is Kathy Ledbetter Williams, who to this day, her and I talk, I was just talking to her this weekend. And I remember at the age of uh, 20, I was uh, uh, on a youth board, 21 maybe, but I was on a youth board and um, it was for foster youth. And she said, you're going to, you're going to speak. You're going to speak. You have a speaking voice. You have a command of language. You're going to speak. Somewhere along the way, I got really shy. And she was used as, as that, uh, that, that person, that, that, that harpoon that dips you out and pushes you out into where you need to be. So I experienced this time and time again. I also attribute it to my teachers. My teachers were like my heroes. They were heroes to me every single year. They encouraged me. They lauded me. They pushed me. They pulled me. They, they pulled out of me what was inside of me. They made, they caused me to read. They caused me to write. I would write my life story sometimes in some of those assignments, but it, it really began to hone my writing capacity and capability. And I'm friends with a lot of those teachers till this day. Um, uh, on Facebook and, and what have you. Uh, so, so I'm telling you, there is no such thing as a self-made person. And because we are not self-made, that is a huge, huge, huge pet peeve of mine. When I hear that people are self-made, I, I, my ears, uh, you know, kind of perk up. Cause I'm like, how, how is it that you're self-made and you really literally can't make yourself, <laughs> You literally can't. We all have needed something in someone. And that also helped me as in, in the, in the space of self-talk to be able to more openly let others help me and assist me to get to where I didn't know how to get to, to download wisdom, to download knowledge, to download comprehension and understanding about the varied changes that I need to go through in life. So I can't, I can't take all of the credit. The only credit I can take is that I did it, is that I humbled myself to do the work. I did the work. I did the process. I, I leaned in and I decided that I wanted so much more from myself that I was willing to throw myself in the fire of other people's litmus tests and whatever that entailed. I endured it all. And I sit here today. That is awesome. And I know that like one of the things I know last year you were recognized um, in our community as realtor of the year. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. I love, I yes, love it absolutely. because I, I know that you're called the hungry realtor. I am the hungry agent. <laughs> I ain't talking about food. <laughs> so tell me about that. Tell me about the hungry. Absolutely. What's the story behind that title? The hungry, the hungry agent was born out of a circumstance where I had to, where I was forced to change brokerages. Um, the life of my professional capacity at another brokerage did not last very long. And so I was thrust into having to select another brokerage. I never wanted to leave the brokerage. I thought I would work for this brokerage forever, forever and ever and ever. And when it became apparent that that was not to be, um, I used to be the renter's agent or the helpful, the helpful, I think I was a helper's agent, the rent, the renter's agent. And, um, when I heard the words that 
she does not have the capacity to make it in real estate. She does not have the capacity to be a top producer. I chuckled to myself and I said, I got something to prove. That's the challenge that I needed. And so I, I threw the, the renter's agent name away, a trademark away. I said, listen, I am the hungry agent. I have to prove this to myself. And I knew that the impetus for my success could not be those words from a broken space, but it had to be the fact that I knew that I could do it and that I was willing to put in the work to see the outcome, the successful outcomes. And so the hungry agent is about me doing everything that I need to do to put, to change really the face of my life. And in three short years coming into real estate in Florida, I'm from Missouri in Kansas City. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri and coming and living in Florida three short years after being licensed, actually three years to the day after being licensed, I was named the uh, the realtor, the 2021 CPAR, Central Panhandle Association of Realtors, Realtor of the Year. To my shock and surprise, <laughs> I'm sitting there in the in the in the uh, ceremony, uh, which is CPAR's annual uh, Christmas party ceremony, and um, they start to describe. And we're, we're sitting at the table and. <laughs> We're, we're taking pox shots at who could be who on each category. You know, who's that? I, let's listen to what they're saying. See if we can get the name. They get to, they get to the realtor of the year. And I knew that someone had nominated me. I didn't know who, but I had been nominated. And so, um, when, when we get to that piece, I, they're describing me and they said, wait a minute. They said, they said, they said, um, what did they say that I was like, oh my God, that's me. Uh, oh, that I'm an author. Oh, and that, and that I had, um, that my office had named me top 25 agent and, um, in, in something else they said. And I was like, that's me. And so, so, so there's a video floating around on social media. That is my true reaction and response. The young lady sitting next to me, Ross, um, recorded for me. I said, Hey, if you record and someone else wins, so what? Well, we'll celebrate whoever wins, but they called my name and I was like, Oh my God, this is really happening. Like, I believe that it could be. I didn't know that it was going to be that quick, but I believe that there was a possibility that I had it in me to do it. And so I, I put in the work and uh, what I've learned is being realtor of the year is not just about how many dollars you make, how many deals you close. It's about how many lives you impact in the community, in business, in life, I've mentored people. I've mentored people through through the real estate uh, test. Um, I've, I've mentored people, you know, outside of real estate. Um, I've mentored people. I'm getting ready to mentor, mentor uh, my niece. I'm getting ready to uh, launch a, a boot camp as well. Uh, in which I will begin to mentor and possibly coach some of those people who will attend. And so there's a lot going on uh, in my life and I'm hungry because I just don't stop. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, th I, I read in uh, 
on LinkedIn that you're a positivity powerhouse. And now I know why you got that name as well. Positivity powerhouse. That is a good description. (laughs) You know, this time of talking with you has just flown by. And I would like, before we wrap it up, to just ask if you have any nuggets of advice. Uh, There's people from all ages and stages who listen to this podcast, but all of them want to get better. All of them want to grow. All of them want to make a difference and make a positive impact. What, what advice would you share with those that are thinking in that direction? Absolutely. Uh, this is my sweet spot. This is what I believe I was born to do is to speak in this, in this way. One of the toughest things to ever take place in my life is a season where I became homeless in my hometown. And one of the things that I knew for sure is that if I, I said to myself way long time ago, that if I ever got to a place where I couldn't, didn't have anywhere to go in my own hometown, it was time to move. And life became so heavy for me. Life became so unbearable for me and to me that uh, it became uncomfortable keyword uncomfortable. It became uncomfortable. And yet I still tried to reach around for the comforts, look for the comforts. I was seeking out the comforts of life. And all the while I was being made uncomfortable. I would tell you to lean into the discomfort. Uncomfortable places lead us to new spaces. I'm gonna... When you get to the point to where your back is against the wall, Understand there's, you can't get any further. When you hit rock bottom, there's no way to go but up. But I would also encourage you to embrace the valley moments. I, I was telling a friend recently that everyone must visit the valley. It's not just you. It's not just me. It's not just the, the girl sitting next to us or the guy sitting on our left. It is Every one of us, you're going to visit the valley. Sometimes the valley is depressing. Sometimes it's embarrassing. It strips us. It strips us. But I'm going to tell you, I found out that in the valley is where we really get the teaching and the understanding that we need so we can reign on the mountaintop. And so if you're having a valley experience, endure that. Be integral in that season. Do the work that you need to do in the valley so that when you get to the mountain, you won't have to repeat what you already did in the valley, what you were supposed to get in the valley. Because what I found out is that pain is a part of the process. None of us can get away from it. There is no, you cannot escape. There is no escape route for pain. There is no escape route for for process. We all have to be processed. We all have to be matured, developed. If you're not developed, people going to look at you funny. Listen, listen, listen. Things that don't develop are things that are not mature. So you have to do develop. And yes, more than just people looking at you funny, you're not going to experience the life that you were created to live. You have a purpose burning on the inside of you, waiting to burst through to the outside of you because your purpose just doesn't serve you, but it serves your audience. It serves us. So we need you to survive the valley so you can bring the nuggets from the valley 
out to us so that we can be perfected. Your purpose perfects someone else's life. And so it was in the valley that I really began to learn what life meant. And guess what? It was one in one of my dark seasons that I found out that 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 there is a there's a such thing as the finest hour. I remember being in the valley and hearing, this is your finest hour. Your finest hour, people want to say or like to think that it's when you're receiving the accolades or you're receiving the awards and the recognitions. But no, 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 no. My finest hour was when I was right in the valley and I could have lost my view. I could have lost my vision. I could have lost my life even. But because I determined that my my finest hour of hardship and, and uncertainty and uncomfortability wasn't my final hour, I was able to come out of that. Instead of breaking down, I was able to break through. And life is a series of breakdowns and breakthroughs. But if you keep on going, you're going to be able to see yourself in an elevated, developed, matured space. And so that's what I live leave with you today. I mean, I could talk to you all about the good stuff. And after you get through uh, going through tough seasons and rough seasons, success comes. And guess what? You got to manage that too. It's not just the heel of getting up and getting over, but it's also the success. So I could talk to you all day about the pain because that's where a lot of us trip. We trip in the pain because we forget that the painful moments are our finest hour. It is our finest hour because we get to see in a different way. We begin to, we begin to perceive life in a different way. And when we perceive life in a different way, we can receive and appreciate life in a different way. Now I didn't come to preach, but I'm just telling you that life is worth living. It's worth living, even on its hardest day, even on in its darkest moment. It is worth living. It is worth enduring. Even on the heaviest day, it is worth living. And guess what? The world would not be better without you. We need you. We need your, we need your light. In one of my seminars, I, I use this song, Flashlights from Parliament, because one of the words they say, one of the lines they say is everybody has a little light under the sun. Everybody has a light. My light might be just a little brighter than yours, but I need your light too to light the area where you're standing. And as you light that light, as you light it, as you light it, you give other people permission to turn on their light. So turn on your light. We need you. Oh, wow. That's a powerful end. And I I have to just say it again, that uncomfortable places will lead you into new spaces. I wrote that down. That is Say that again. You said uncomfortable uncomfortable places will lead you into new spaces. That's correct. <laughs> that is correct. Well, Catrice, how can where do people find you? If they want to hear more, learn more, buy your book, where do they find you? They can find me online at my website CatriceLive.com. That's C-A-T C-A-T-R-I-E-S-E-L-I-V-E dot com. CatriceLive.com. They can find me on Facebook at Catrice Inspires or Catrice Johnson, or I have a Facebook group called The Poor, where there's a safe and sound landing place. There's a safe landing place online called The Poor, and it's on Facebook. 
But you can find me on all outlets as Catrice Johnson. Very good. Well, I love that I found you and that you're part of my life now. Thank you for sharing with us today. Likewise. I've taken notes and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Your energy is uh, lights, lights my light brighter. So thank you. And I'll leave our audience with the good news always that the best is yet to come.